This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Now, as I was thinking about this this weekend and prepping for this message, I was reminded of a, a toy. If you are a child of the 80s, I'm a child. How many of y'all child, children of the 80s grew up in the 80s? If you're a child of the 80s, you, you grew up playing with this toy. We all did. Every single one of us did. There's not a, one of us that was immune to this toy. We grew up playing with them. We, when our parents were tired of us, they would give us a bucket of these things and go, go build something called Legos. Y'all remember Legos? Y'all remember sitting down with a bucket of Legos and thinking in the back of your brain, I can build anything. I can build anything. Just the limit is my imagination. As long as it's square, I can build anything. Right? I can build an apartment building. I can build a police station. I can build a shopping mall. I can build a house. I can build a car. But if I build a car, it's just going to be square. Because that's all you can do with Legos is build <laughs> square with different colors, right? Until now. Y'all, have y'all noticed that I read this study. This is r- remarkable. That Legos have gained more value in the last 10 years than gold has. You think I'm joking. See, Legos are smart. People who own Legos, they realized along the way that this was a, a kind of a franchise. It was something that they needed to market. Now, now you don't just go buy Legos. You go buy, buy kits of Legos. Things they, like Kids don't have imagination anymore. It's not like you sit down with a bucket of Legos and you just build anything. They go buy a kit, and it has step-by-step instructions on how to build anything you think of. thought it would be fun to show you some kits that you could buy if you have enough money. Notice I said if you have Look at this one on Amazon. The Boeing 787 Dreamliner. 850 bucks. 850 bucks. I could buy a plane, a real plane. <laughs> Not a bunch of Legos. It's a thousand pieces. Think about that. Think about the value. Look at this next one if you're a Star Wars fan. The Millennium Falcon. Seven thousand pieces in this going for over a thousand dollars so i thought it would be interesting to see what's the most expensive lego kit that you could get on amazon what's the most expensive one it's this one right here the make and create cafe corner twenty four hundred dollars for a bunch of legos that they show you step by step how to build that thing I'm going to be honest with you. That doesn't look like $2,400 worth of Legos. I can buy a small house for $2,400. All right? Amazing. 2,000 pieces of Legos going for well over a dollar a piece. Now, we love Legos at my house. I have three kids. I have a six-year-old daughter named Adelaide and a 
a four-year-old son named Clayton, and then we have a, a small baby. He's 11 months old named Cade. He doesn't play with Legos, but the other two do. And, and the way that I tempt them and get them to play with Legos is I have an office upstairs, and the way that they can come and hang out with me in the office is that they can come upstairs and build with Legos, all right? Now, Legos look for us at our house. They look like this. This is what they don't look like that other kid. It's a bucket full of Legos. That's all we got. Because we're not paying for that. So just use your imagination and build. And my son Clay, he doesn't really build anything with Legos. He just finds the pieces of stuff that his sister left behind, the remnants of her building, and claims it as his own, right? Dad, look what I built. No, you didn't. Your sister built that. But every once in a while, she'll build, my daughter will build something. She's so proud of it. She wants me to display it on my desk. And so I thought I would show you what's currently residing on my desk. This is, on the left, the, the, the largest structure is a, a, a small man on a sled. He looks a little bit like an Oompa Loompa, just a little bit. To the right is actually um, a smaller version of what is built on the left, which is nice because now she's learning to scale. That's great, all right? And then the very, very front, this is my most prized creation, is actually a, a penguin that she built completely from her own imagination proud of that right there. See, the thing about Legos is we're all like Legos. We were made for connection, and we're not very useful without connectivity. We're all like Legos. So I thought it would be helpful to just kind of talk about what does it mean to live in connection, just to kind of establish a baseline definition for you, connection is the bond that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued. When they can give themselves without being judged and gain strength and sustenance from that bond that is shared. Connection. And I want you to understand today that you are hardwired for connection. You're hardwired for it. Think about the beginning of the story of creation in humanity. God makes Adam, puts him in a garden, and then every day God comes and walks with Adam. Adam gets quality time with God. They connect and talk and walk every single day. We were made and hardwired for connection. It's even showing up today in Science, that our brains are hardwired for connection. This is a, a quote from Daniel Goldman who wrote a book called Social Intelligence, The New Science of Human Relationships. Even our most routine encounters act as regulators in the brain, priming our emotions, some desirable and some not. The more strongly we connect with someone, the greater the chemical force behind that connection. We were designed for connection. But we live in a culture that has twisted connection. Which is why for most of you, I could sit down and ask you how many followers you have on Instagram. And you probably could say, you know, several hundred. How many friends do you have on Facebook? Maybe a thousand. But how many real friends do you have? Because the average American can't list two real friends. See, we live in a culture that has walked away from 
the meaningful connection that God designed us and hardwired us to live with. And in the end of our lives, our lives will really be more defined by connection than anything else. Your life will not be defined by what you possess. I don't care what kind of collection you have, whether it's a collection of cars or baseball cards. I have never been to a funeral where the entire funeral, everybody talked about their collections or their possessions. But I have been to funerals almost exclusively where the conversation was about connection. The conversation was about connection. So I thought it would be helpful just to kind of give you the way that we connect because I think that question is very valuable. How do we connect with other people? Well, the first way is that we love them. We love them. Now that's a convoluted word that culturally has a lot of different meanings because you love your dog you love your favorite restaurant you love your house you love your kids you love your spouse and it's the same word that we use all the way throughout that but we mean totally different things so what's real love biblical love what does that look like in connection it gives it gives see love always gives Love is not affection. Love is a decision. And it's a decision to move into action, and the action is always giving. You know this because you all went to vacation Bible school when you were little kids and memorized John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because love gives. And if we want to connect to somebody, We need to love them. And the action of that love is not affection. Okay? It is giving. The second way that we connect is through serving. Serving. Now, this is counterintuitive because most of us are much more concerned about what we get out of a relationship than what we give. But the truth is is that if we want to connect with people, the greatest way to connect with them is by loving them, which promotes or kind of provokes us to give, and then we kind of mold that into service. If you understand that connection is largely born out of love which is giving, and serving, you can understand why the vehicle of the local church is so important. Because it gives us a place to give and serve towards the mission of God. And promotes connection that is authentic and real with people who will care about us and take care of us. Not perfect people, but people who will help us along the way. See, at your funeral, People are going to talk about how you loved and how you served. And if you live with that ever-present in the way that you think about evaluating your life, I promise you it will change the way that you think about it because God designed you to connect. See, we were designed to connect to ourselves and others and God. 
We're designed for that. God made us to do that. That's really going to be the framework for the rest of the series. We're going to spend a week talking about how we connect to ourselves authentically, how do we connect to others, and then how do we connect to God. How do we get the right chemistry in those areas of our lives? Because so many of us, if we're just honest, those areas of our lives are out of balance and the chemistry that is present right now is not good. We need to rediscover God's purpose in all of that. See, I don't know if you played with Legos like I did when I was a kid. There's a little thing that, that we always use when we're playing with Legos. It's green. I don't know if you remember this, but it looked like this, right? Y'all remember this thing? Right? The base is where we start. You build on top of this. You don't just build haphazardly, right? You use this as the fundamental base. And many of us, here's the problem. All right, don't change the slide too quickly on me. Many of us think that we are supposed to be this. That we are supposed to be able to connect to anything, anyone, all the time. Which is why you are so spread out, spread thin, and unable to connect the way that God designed you to connect. Truth is, is that that's God. The foundation of all connection. We, on the other hand, look like this. We're just different kind of Legos. See, some of us are like this one little green Lego down here. We can connect to one good friend. We can have one. I can pour my life in love, and I can serve one good friend. God made me that way. You're probably a little bit more introverted than the rest of us extroverts. There's some of you that are like the eight in the ten brick, right? Y'all connect to everybody. You go to a party, and there's a ton of people. You just think, this is the best thing that ever happened to me my whole entire life. All these people are my friends, right? You just get excited and you draw energy while the little one person down here is like, oh, God. I can't do this. This is way too much connection. All right? Some of us are like the, the blue one at the top. All right? We can have a bunch of friends, but we can only handle them one at a time. Don't give me a group. Don't give me a large group, just a few friends. I can take you, and then the next day I can hang out with you, and then, but not a, I'm not good with that. But we're all designed to connect. It looks different for each of us. We're designed to connect. So I think we need to ask the question, what keeps us then from meaningful connection? What keeps us? I'm going to give you four simple things that become roadblocks in our lives to meaningful connection. The first one is fear. Fear. So when it comes to connection, fear always becomes a roadblock to meaningful connection. Fear will tell you that people cannot be trusted. People are not worth the investment in a relationship. And because they're going to break your heart, keep them at a distance. Fear will find validation in every time that you have been hurt. And fear will find validation, and every pain that you witness another experience. And if you let fear be your focus, it will do something that is deadly 
to connection. Fear destroys trust. Fear destroys trust. And it's impossible to have meaningful connection without trust. It's one of the bonds that has to be present for us to experience the kind of connection that God wants us to experience. He designed us that way. See, when we choose to love someone, we choose in that choice to believe the best in them. But that's the problem with fear. See, love looks for the best. Fear looks for the worst. Fear looks for a reason to doubt. But love looks for a reason to have faith. Fear looks for the reason to push away. Love looks for the reason to lean in. So the question is, what are you looking for? Because here's the truth. Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. If you're looking for weakness and failure in someone, here's the truth about all of us. There's some of it in all of us. If you're looking for that, you're going to find it. If you're looking for the cracks, you're going to find those. But this is why I think this verse is so beautiful. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I just want you to leave that up there for a second because I want you to think through some of the premises that are present in that verse. It does show us that when we love, that initially a part of love is that we're going to be afraid of that level of connection. We're going to be afraid. But perfect love will drive out the fear. So it means that when fear shows up, we push against it. We say, no, I'm not going to let you be the way that I'm framed. I'm not going to let you be the way that I think about things. I'm going to drive you out, fear. I'm not going to let you be boss. I'm not going to let you talk. I'm not going to listen to you. Because the one who fears is not made perfect in love. So when we drive out fear and push against fear, we're being made perfect in love. Fear will keep you from meaningful connection. The second thing in your notes that will keep you from meaningful connection is past experiences. Past experiences will keep you from meaningful connection. Now I just want to stop and say that there are probably for all of us plenty of reasons to shut down connection. There's some bad things that have happened. Some of you have experienced things that no human should ever have to experience. Because you are the victim of abuse, and that is a tragedy, okay? There is no defense to the perpetrator of that. But the problem is, is that when past experiences are left undealt with, they become toxic. And the toxicity of the past spills over into the present. And it will affect the relationships that you live in today. And there's some of you that past hurts 
are keeping you from connecting to people that love you genuinely today? Can I just give you some advice? Don't convict someone you choose to love for the crimes committed against you in the past by somebody else. Just because they did it in the past doesn't mean that they will do it today in the present. And can I just say this? I just feel the Holy Spirit wants to say this. If you're here today and you have forgiven somebody of something in the past, don't continue to convict them of what you have already forgiven them of today. Set them free and let them live in the freedom of forgiveness. This is a huge issue. All right? A huge issue in Scripture. Now, we know that God has forgiven us. That's the point of the gospel, that God would forgive us and our relationship with God could be restored. But God's forgiveness is just not mere sentiment towards you. It's not a statement simply of your value. It is meant for you to share. Because it's impossible to have experienced the radical grace of God and not be forgiving, which is why Jesus makes it such an issue. In Matthew 6, 15, he would go on to say this, if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is serious business. Serious business. Which means that our past experiences can stand in the way of the greatest connection that we're meant to experience on earth. That's a connection with Jesus Christ. The third thing that can get in the way of meaningful connection is shame. Shame is something that happens inside of us when we're wrapped up in our weakness and failure. And some of you don't realize this, but as you look backwards over your life, your identity is more created from what you have failed at rather than what God says about who you are. And shame, when shame is present, shame shuts down your ability to connect with other people. It literally shuts it down. Which is why the radical grace and forgiveness of God is so important because it frees us to live in the freedom of forgiveness so that we can experience the beauty of connection today. This is why I think Romans 8 verses 1 and 2 is so important. If you struggle with shame, this is a verse that you need to memorize and commit to memory so that it can go into your heart and become a kind of stabilizing force in your self-image. So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. You've been set free. God no longer defines you by your failure, by your sin. So when you do, all shame is, is choosing to keep yourself 
in the bondage and slavery of your failure when God has already set you free. And the last thing that can keep us from meaningful connections is selfishness. It's selfishness. It's impossible to be connected to somebody, to experience meaningful and authentic connection when we're self-focused and self-concerned. As a matter of fact, I don't think there's anything that shuts down the life that God wants us to live more than being self-focused and self-concerned. Which is why I think the warning in 1 Corinthians 10 is so powerful. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Why? Because we were designed for connection. We were designed for connection. God made you to live with the right chemistry of connection. So today I want to give you three building blocks that need to be present in our life if we're going to cultivate meaningful connection across the board in different venues of our lives. The first thing that needs to be present is vulnerability. Now here's the thing about vulnerability. It's counterintuitive. Because most of us think, if I'm really going to connect to a lot more people, then I, I, I need to show the world how good I am. I need to let the world see my strengths. I need to let them see me at my best. And, and the reason that I'm the, the big shining hero that I know that I could be, I want them to see me that way. But the problem with that is that you might impress people with your strengths, but you will connect to people through your weakness. And vulnerability starts with the act of giving yourself permission to be weak. Giving yourself permission to be weak. Because here's the radical truth. You are weak. You are not in control. You are not the God of the universe. And when we step back, and examine how much of our lives is really out of our control. We should give ourselves some permission to be weak. And that needs to happen in the context of our relationships. Because so many of us only want relationships with people who can get it right. And people who were not afraid that they're, they're going to hurt us or wound us. But see, vulnerability actually acknowledges that others probably, intentionally or unintentionally, will hurt you. But it chooses to love them anyway. Isn't that how God loves you? Doesn't He already know that we're going to fail Him? Yet He chooses anyway to love us. That's what love does. Love gives. And that posture is so vulnerable. See, vulnerability gives permission for intimacy in the middle of weakness and failure. Intimacy is connection. And it gives permission for that connection even in the presence of failure and weakness. I asked my wife this week, I said, well, what, what do you think it means to be vulnerable? 
She said, I think it means that you can be exposed and loved. There's no way to experience meaningful connection without being vulnerable. The second thing is to be courage or to be courageous. To have courage. The Latin root for the word courage is the term core or which can be translated in out of Latin into heart. Originally, the word courage meant uh, to speak one's mind by telling one's heart. In our day and age, courage has shifted its meaning. We, we talk about courage in heroic terms, where somebody is willing to lay down their life. It, it is the, the courageous one is the police officer that one runs into the event where there's, there's an active shooter, the, the fireman who runs into the building that is in flame. But I think there's a different kind of courage that we all need on a daily basis. It's ordinary courage, and ordinary courage is about putting our vulnerability on the line. Putting our vulnerability on the line. In 1989, the very beginning of the month of June, there was an uprising of college students in the middle of Beijing. If you've ever been to China, Beijing is a, a city that eclipses our mental capacity really to envision its scope. It's estimated, estimated that 35 million people live in Beijing. Just to put that in perspective, 3 million people live in LA and a little over 7 million people live in New York. 35 million people live in Beijing. And in the middle of Beijing is kind of like the mall in Washington, a huge square called Tiananmen Square, which is surrounded by government buildings. And in June of 1989, a massive protest, peaceful protest, against the communist government of China broke out. And on June the 4th, the communists did what communists knew how to do at that point in time. They rolled in the military and squashed the protest, killing unarmed civilians and dispersing the students. On the morning of June the 5th, the next day, as the military was rowing into town to kind of set up a police state, a man caught live by CNN and displayed all over the world, changed the trajectory of this story. Walking home from the grocery store, carrying grocery bags in both hands, he walked across the street as a line of tanks was rolling in. And he walked and he stood right in front of the first one and refused to move. The cameras of CNN zoomed in, live, spread around the world. And the tank would try to move, and he would move. He was just tired of it. He knew what had happened the day before. He didn't know he was live on CNN. But he decided to take a stand peacefully. And the tanks piled up behind that one. 
And for about 10 minutes, he just stood there, refusing to move and daring them to shoot him. About the 10 minutes, you can hear the crowds begin to roar because courage is contagious. If you talk to the Chinese today, they will tell you that that moment changed their country. Because at that moment, the communist dictators of China knew that they couldn't act the way that they wanted to. Being displayed on CNN around the world, they had to stand down. And one man took charge of ten tanks. And a peaceful protest began again. And China, even though it is still communist, is radically different today because of that moment. Courage is contagious. See, this week my wife and I talked through this. This is tough, but I want you to think about this today, especially if you're a parent. Some of us need to stop telling our kids to be courageous when they don't see courage in us. We need to stop telling our kids to have faith when they don't see faith in us. We stop telling our kids to take a stand when they don't see us taking a stand. Because we need to live in a way that is infectious. Because our kids and the people around us will catch more from us than we will ever teach them. Because more is caught than taught in our homes. And our kids need to see us courageously living to follow out our dreams and the dreams that God has planted in our hearts. Courage. And the last thing is compassion. If we're going to live with meaningful connection. We need to have compassion. Compassion literally translated means to suffer with. To suffer with, which is why I think the book of Romans says that we need to mourn together and weep together and celebrate together. Because when we are connected with someone and they go through hard times, we kind of go through hard times with them, helping them to shoulder the burdens, crying with them, mourning with them. Because pain in life is inevitable. Jesus put it this way, in this world you will have trouble. So compassion is a daring move towards fear and pain. See, the world that we live in tends to run from fear or pain. Tends to deny fear or pain. But love and meaningful connection leads in to fear and pain. Let me just say this. When it comes to compassion, compassion is not in relationships an attempt to rescue someone. It is really just an expression of our shared humanity. That we all go through ups and downs and I'm here to mourn and weep and cry and celebrate with you because I love you and we are connected. That's why I think Ephesians 4 is so important where the Apostle Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other. Just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave. You know, here's the beautiful thing. God designed us for connection. He hardwired us for that. But Jesus displayed all three of those characteristics for us. Think about vulnerability. The choice to love even when you know you're going to get hurt. The choice to posture your heart into a place where, you know, I'm going to be fully exposed. Isn't that what Philippians 2 verses 7 and 8 speaks of? Where it says that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Think about that. Jesus became vulnerable so that we could have the connection with God that our lives needed. Was he courageous? Think about that ordinary courage. The willingness to put vulnerability on the line. Was he willing to put the vulnerability of his life on the line? Being born as a man into human likeness. The creator of the world being a baby in a manger. And then later in Revelation 5, described this way, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. Is he courageous? Yes. The lion of Judah has triumphed. Why? Because he was willing to lay his weakness and frailty and put it on the line for you and me. And lastly, compassionate. The Bible tells us that there's not a temptation or a trial that we would ever experience that he was not familiar with. He knows what it was like to lose, to experience loss and pain and suffering. There's not a level of suffering that we would ever experience that would be foreign to him. So when the Apostle Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Has He been compassionate to us? Yes. Why? Because He knew that we were hardwired for compassion and we were hardwired for vulnerability. We were hardwired to live courageously because we were hardwired for connection. And sin had destroyed all of that. And so he gave up his life and rights to reestablish that connection. And today, there are some of us in the room, if we're honest, this is a moment where we need that connection to be established again. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.